Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast from P-Town. I am your co-host this week, and your host is here, ready to tell you the news of the day, week, weekend, however that works. Thank you, news correspondent. Hello. Okay, they... I thought you were going to do this one. No. You sure? Yeah. You don't want to? No. Okay. Well, I guess it's back to me again. I want a job done right. Okay. So, I hope everybody's having a good week out there. We finally got over the hottest temperatures, I think. We're... (sighs) Why does this person always text right when I'm getting into the podcast? Don't let me forget to turn that off silent mode. Okay, so, um, yeah, we got over the super hot temperatures. Now we're down into the mid to... I think we're at 88 right now. Yeah, during the daytime it gets into the mid-90s. But uh, it's all right. I can live with it. So, um, looking at the news you can use, this is a really long one, so I'm going to kind of uh, shorten it. Paraphrase? Paraphrase. Mr. News Correspondent, I don't need the whole story. Well... Well, uh, well, okay, so this one that we're talking about is um, the fires. So there's a lot of fires going on out west here. There, I think there, we reported on Monday morning that there was 1,600 new, or 16 new fires uh, across Oregon, I believe. Oh, that doesn't count Montana or California? No, I don't think so. Oh, gosh. But a lot of them were just small fires that came from the lightning strikes and stuff. Um, But anyhow, the Wendigo Fire is burning more than 1,500 acres in the Umpqua National Forest. Um, Forest Service said the blaze is 0% contained. Um, The fire is actively burning in timber nearly 20 miles southwest of Lapine near Crescent Lake. Um, The cause of this one is still under investigation. Then... Uh, to the south, southeast of that, you have the Tolo Mountain Fire, and it's burned 41 acres in the Deschutes National Forest, and it's expected, well, as of Sunday morning, it was supposed to be 20% contained. I don't know what the latest report is. Uh, there was a third fire near Potter Mountain in the Willamette National Forest. Uh, it was reported around 9 a.m. Sunday, and it's very active in a relatively remote area. And then there's numerous lightning strikes in the area of these wildfires over the weekend. Uh, these mark the first significant fires of Oregon's wildfire season. Then uh, just south of the Oregon border in Northern California, the McKinney Fire has burned more than 80 square miles in just two days. And that's in the Klamath National Forest. There's been about 2,000 residents of Wairika, California that have been evacuated. And... Uh, the Oregon State Fire Marshal sent three task forces made up of 41 firefighters to assist with response to this fire. So that looks like it's the big one right now. Mm-hmm. An investigation last year by CAP Radio and National Public Radio found that Governor Newsom had slashed $150 million from the state's wildfire prevention budget and grossly overstated the number of acres that had been treated for the kind of fuel breaks and prescribed burns designed to stop such conflagrations. That Newsom, he could be a run-up for being as bad or worse than Kate Brown. Wait, either so, Kate Brown or Newsom or the guy in Washington, one of them's related. Oh, I don't know. One of them's related to the other, brother or sister. Really? 
I thought. Huh. Maybe it's Nancy Pelosi's brother? I don't know. I don't know. But that Newsom, so... And uh, you remember where they were saying that Trump was the cause of all this, all the fires? And oh, all yeah. Maybe it's because they're slashing the money for treating fires or putting out fires, and they're also overestimating the uh, amount of, or underestimating or whatever, the amount of fuel that fires have. Um, yeah, have they seen how dry everything is? Yeah. It's probably quadruple what he said. But like I was saying with the heat, there's been a, Oregon officials say they said, uh, they've seen 10 deaths, which they believe are tied mm-hmm. to the heat wave. Uh, for the first time in its recorded history, Portland has hit 95 degrees for seven consecutive days. And Portland had previously recorded six consecutive days of 95 or more in the summers of 1941 and 1981. Good grief. So think about this. 1941 plus 40 mm-hmm. is 1981. Right. 1981 plus 41 is 2022. So the next time we see this big thing should be in 2064. Hmm. And then Seattle uh, recorded its sixth consecutive day of uh, temperatures over 90 degrees. Where? Seattle. Oh. And this one here just makes me angry. Uh So Merriam-Webster, the dictionary company, they changed the definitions of female and girl. In 2012, the definition of female, and I've never actually read this, so it was kind of eye-opening, but... uh, the meaning of uh, female in the dictionary was of relating to or being the sex that bears young or produces eggs, composed of members of the female sex, characteristic of girls or women having some quality associated with the female sex, designed with a hollow or groove into which corresponding male part fits. Oh, sh- that's I'm what it's. To find my dictionary. That was the old one. Oh. Um, up until recently. Merriam-Webster defined girl as a female child from birth to adulthood, daughter, a young woman, a single or married woman of any age, sweetheart. As of today, people are noticing that both of these definitions have been changed. Merriam-Webster added one more clause to the definition of female, which is having a gender identity that is opposite the male. Is also added clause to the definition of girl, a person whose gender identity is female. And then... Here are some new suggestions that Webster should put into their dictionary. For example, aardvark. Anything that identifies as an aardvark. Abacus. Anything that identifies as an abacus. Abandoned. The state of identifying is abandoned. Abattoir. Anything that identifies as an abattoir, and so on and so forth. <laughs> I think that would be good. Um, Biden, Biden's ratings are still bad. Yep. Shocking. Joe Biden, oh, get this, Joe Biden's approval ratings have sunk to an all-time low in the most recent Gallup poll, with just 38% of people happy with the job the president is doing. Hey, I want to meet those 38%. So if you're one of those 38%, I would like to hear from you and to hear what Joe Biden is doing that is making his, you so happy with him. A follow-up question found that 45% of Americans strongly disapprove of Biden's performance Mm -hmm. compared to just 13% who strongly approve of Biden's performance. Biden's six-quarter approval rating of 40% covering April 20th through July 19th is also the lowest of any president in modern history dating back to Dwight D. Eisenhower. Donald Trump's six-quarter approval rating was 42%. And... uh, 
it just he's seeing even the Democrats are getting tired of Biden. He's seeing an all time low of Democrats that favor how he's doing. So, um, and the Democrats are wondering with midterm elections coming up, how they're going to save themselves. Oh, and kind of like the whole gas crap that you were talking about, where they say that, what they say, uh, the White House reported that the average household is now saving $40 a month in gas because the gas prices have lowered. Well, if we would have been voting for Trump or Republicans or not Biden, we'd be saving a hell of a lot more than that in gas. And food, and generally anything. Yeah. So, uh, and also, um, Texaco and ExxonMobil produced their uh, quarterly reports of their highest profits ever. Um, just ma- they were. It said that they were averaging making two thousand two hundred and forty-three dollars per second. I believe is what it is. Make me sick. so. That just makes gives you that warm and fuzzy feeling. Yeah. And uh, that's because of the man hands grabbing hold of your shoulders. Right. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, hey, we had some people die. Well, that's not a happy thing to be happy about. I didn't say I was happy about it. You Are you tell happy? By your tone. Hey, we had some people die. I was oh. just leading into the next segment so people would be excited to hear. About how things are going out there with the lives of others. Yeah. Do I look more sophisticated with these glasses on? Yes. I thought so. Uh, <clears throat> Nichelle Nichols. Do you know who she was? No. Don't look at... She was O'Hur on the Star Trek. O'Hura? She stood behind the gay guy. I think she was the black lady. That stood back in the back corner of the Starship. I, I think Inter- that was her. I think so. Okay. I think so. Um, And then Bill Russell died, and he had played for the Boston Celtics. He was a big time. uh, I think he'd won six or eight NBA championships. I think it was eight, because I think he had four on each, uh, four on this hand, four on this hand, when they showed the picture of him. Right. You know, if Bobby Brown had four on this hand and four on this hand, you would know because you could count the waltz on Whitney Houston's face. That was rude. You don't speak ill of the dead. I wasn't speaking ill of the dead. I was speaking ill of Bobby Brown. I know, but... I mean, I guess I could speak ill of her and say she should learn how to block better. Maybe take some martial arts classes. Nope. nope. Hmm. How do you spell a gal's name? Who? Uhura. Uhura. You? Oh, Nichelle Nichols. Oh, okay, thank you. Okay. Always on your phone. I'm trying... Oh, she was the black lady. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See? Singer she wasn't dancer. black. She was a woman who identifies as black. Oh, sorry. Yeah. It says for African-American actresses. Yeah. Yeah, see? Okay. What's so that? moving right along, um, we're going to finally get into this week's uh, uh, episode. If you all haven't fast-forwarded through, uh, or maybe now you want to fast-forward. But either way, uh, so this week we're talking about Ayatollahs in Iran. And this is uh, episode. It's ki- it's kind of about the revolution in Iran that took place from 1978 to 1979. And this revolution, it took away the Shah's regime and replaced it with the Ayatollah, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, and the Shah. Uh, so this particular period is, I guess, is known as the Pahlavi Dynasty uh, when the Shah was in, and they ruled from 1925. 
until this event took place. They'd obviously taken over from another dynasty. But for about 28 years, they ruled as a constitutional monarchy, which basically means that they rule by using a form of a constitution to make their decisions. They kind of carried out the rules that were set out uh, in the constitution. So the constitution set it, and then they made sure that it happened. Um, a regular monarchy is pretty much where the ruler can make their own decisions, which is kind of the way they went until this revolution took place. Um, it was also known as an autocratic or absolute monarch. Uh, this And that's where a king is the first and final authority on everything. Which, their kings were known uh, in those days, the monarchs and whatnot, they were known as the Shah, is the Persian word for king. Kind of like our word for Biden is idiot. <laughs> so pr people were looking at this regime and they thought that they were too brutal and oppressive. Um... Which, what would you expect when somebody holds ab absolute power? And if they don't hold absolute power, they come become oppressive. Kind of like Kate Brown does with our state. They also thought that the Shah was causing their failure of their economy. Uh, and then many others also thought that the Shah was basically a puppet of Western infidels. 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 I kill you. I kill you. Namely the U.S., which, if there is one thing a Muslim hates more than a celibate camel, it's the United States. <laughs> but, oh, that was bad. Okay. But anyhow, the Shah wasn't totally in our good graces, though. He was supporting the OPEC petroleum price increases, and it was also announced that uh, governments that were going against our human rights policies would not get any funding from the U.S., so to the Iranian people, they thought that this would start to have the government loosen up on them a bit. Um, and I know I haven't been on this earth as long as my co-host, mm. but if there's one thing I do know is that if a government gets something over the people, they aren't going to let up on it. They're just going to keep pressing their thumb. Is that been your historical experience in your wise years? Yes. <clears throat> Thank you. Oh, young one. I hope to live to be as old as you. Mm. So the government that would end up replacing this was an Islamic government that would be ran by the Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, and actually, if you want to hear something funny, go on YouTube and look up A Message to Khomeini by Roger Hallmark. It's a song that, uh, this guy wrote. It, I remember listening to it when I was a kid and I played it for my kids and, uh, it's actually, it's kind of funny. But this part that we're going to is basically my interpretation of the research. So an Ayatollah is a term used by people of the Shia Islam sect. And basically, it makes them like a religious leader. But more than that, they're kind of a supreme ruler. So they've got the religion, and they've got the population ruling, basically. Um, I think I heard at one time that Iran believed that they were the only true ones the Prophet Muhammad cared about, I guess you could say. So having the Ayatollah of, as their leader was kind of a religious thing, where, like I said, he led the religion of the country as well as running the country himself. And there's tons of history in that area, the Persians and the, uh, I don't think the ba I think the Babylonians were more in Iraq, but anyhow. So there were a lot of events that led up to this revolution, um, kind of like we had talked about a few minutes ago with they were mad that the Shah was pressing down on them too much. And so uh, and the Ayatollah was pushing back on that. Um, and you probably already know uh, it was pretty much basically the stuff that leads to any 
type of revolution. And so he did the Shah, though, to kind of appease the people. He did the thing, things a little bit differently than other rulers that were about to get overthrown. He tried to gain the support of the working class and the peasants of the country. Most of the other rulers, they kind of seemed to favor the upper class and make things easier for them, uh, kind of like how the U.S. does. But this plan pretty much failed him and kind of paved the way for this revolution that was uh, going to be coming. So the Ayatollah guy that we were talking about, he was born on May 17th of 1900. Hmm. Um, but he didn't come into any real prominence until about 1963. He was leading an opposition towards the Shah, and he ended up getting arrested after declaring the Shah a wretched and miserable man who had embarked on the path toward destruction of Islam in Iran. So those are pretty big words. Right. So this message got out, and the people rioted for about three days. And the amount of deaths from these riots ranged from, depending on what source you read, they ranged from 32 to about 15,000. What? Yeah. That's a huge range. Yeah. It's kind of like if you listen, whether you listen to CNN or you listen to Fox News. Right. But he ended up getting a house arrest for eight months, and he continued his agitation. Mm. Uh, he was condemning Iran's cooperation with Israel and its extensions of diplomatic immunity for Americans in Iran. He wanted all the Americans over there to, you know, have their things cut off. The, the finances. Oh, yeah, I wasn't meaning... What, oh. you giving me the dirty eye for? Well, because you weren't finding your words, and I was trying to figure out if you were trying to find a different word or if you couldn't find your oh, thought, thought process. Yeah. Well, uh. Anyhow. Um, part of what I left out above, though, was the fact that under the Shah, Iran was becoming more Western-like, so they really that's kind of why they, everybody was saying he was kind of like a Western puppet. But this all was making the Ayatollah mad for giving immunity to the infidels in their country. Infidels. Infidels. So this got him arrested again in 1964, and he was sent into exile for the next 15 years, Ooh. which he spent mainly uh, next door in Iraq. Oh. Um, but he wasn't the only one, obviously, that didn't like the Westernism of Iran, and this kind of became the, the ideology of this whole revolution. And this time, the Khomeini, uh, he was still kind of involved sending messages from Iraq. Um, he preached that revolt and martyrdom against injustice and tyranny was part of Shia Islam. So the whole thing about blowing them up and things like that is uh, the whole martyrdom thing. Oh. Um, and they see anything that doesn't go with what they think as being injustice. Um, which I guess going into this with open eyes, you have to look at the Western colonialism um, and the injustices that were being done by these countries in the area. Uh, it wasn't a real shining spot. We had all the British colonialism in Africa and the French and all that stuff. Um, and I hate to say that they took out a lot against the United States. Um, it was mainly the British that were kind of doing a lot of this uh, colonialism stuff. Um, and I must say, if the British has helped them out in their colonialism, like we had to do in World War II, they may still have a bunch of colonies because the U.S. is... 2-0 and o as far as world wars go, as far as I know. We're sitting pretty good on that. Yeah. We're looking for an undefeated season. Let's just... Kind of like the Eagles. Yeah. But anyhow, while he was in exile, he kind of developed this ideology that Muslims or everyone needed guardianship in the form of rule or super supervision by the mm. leading Islamic jurists. 
Um, so I assume he was a narcissist and he developed this in his mind that all the Muslims should look to him for both their government and their religion. And he said that it would make sure that all of the Muslims would hold true to ancient Sharia law. And if you want to do some more study and look into Sharia law, it's kind of interesting. But while he was in exile, his son was kind of rallying the troops back in Iran for their move. Uh, there were other groups that were forming as well, but they didn't seem to gain as much uh, traction as his was. And uh, they were gaining traction, but what turned out to be a political blunder, on January 7th of 1978, there was an article written in one of the papers in Iran by a government agent that was writing under a pseudonym, pseudonym and it painted Khomeini as being a British agent to try and... They were basically trying to criminalize him, saying that he was in work uh, for the British, that he was a spy and whatnot, but it backfired. And once the article got published, a bunch of seminary students began to clash with the police. About 40 days after this clash, the mosques and the bazaars joined in. Um, the bazaars? Bazaars. That's what they call, I think that's what they call like their street. Uh, like, you know, where everybody hangs out on the street and sells their Persian rugs and you can fly your carpet wherever you want to and things like that. It's a you, really a bazaar? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You go and can buy a bottle and rub it, see if a genie comes out. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, uh, it backfired. Uh, so the bazaars joined in and demonstrations started to break out in various cities. Um, why? 40 days, you may ask? Why 40 days? I'm glad you asked. Because according to Shiite customs, the memorial services for people are held 40 days after their death. Oh. And... They had to call in the Iranian army in order to restore order in at least one of these cities. Then guess what? Hmm. In those cities. What? They had to restore order in one of the cities. They needed the army to help them. Oh. Then 40 days later, another 55 demonstrations took place. Good grief. Then guess what? In another 40 days. Yep, they had another one. So it's starting to sound like Iran and Portland, Oregon are becoming synonymous. Right. Um... At least these guys in Iran had the decency to hold off for 40 days instead of doing it every night. But um, So the riots ended up taking the Shah by surprise. He would work to try and negotiate with the protesters, but that wasn't working for him. And since the regular police forces hadn't been given riot gear or training for a long time, they would often have to call in the military. And even though they were told not to use deadly force, sometimes people would get killed, which would then inflame the rioters even more. Which really is kind of, I mean, you got to pay to play. Yeah, but if you they're know, told they're not supposed to. Yeah, but if somebody's charging at you or something with a flaming pitchfork or whatever they have over there, <laughs> or he's flying his carpet a little too close to you, you shoot him out of the air. Maybe he's beating his camel or something mm. out in the middle of the street. So anyhow, by early summer, the riots had kind of stagnated, only attracting a crowd of around 10,000 people in each major city. Oh. But by August, they had ramped up again and hit a fevered pitch, and the demonstrations were now attracting around 100,000 people. And to add to this, the country was facing rising inflation. So in order to bring all this back down, the administration was cutting spending, and these cutbacks caused layoffs. So now you had another group of people joining into the protests. So finally, on August 11th of that year, they ended up declaring martial law. The prime minister resigned, so now they had to bring into a new one. So they brought in a guy by the name of Jafar Sharif Amami. Hmm. 
Maybe. Now, this guy, he had a history of corruption, but the Shah had thought that his close ties to the clergy would kind of help dampen things because, remember, they were all still hiding behind this uh, tree of law crap. So they tried appeasement with the rioters. Uh, they released prisoners. They increased freedom of expression and basically stopped all censorship of the newspapers. Then to make matters even worse, um, which did not help them at all, four arsonists barricaded a theater and set it on fire. Oh. And this was the largest terrorist attack to take place until 9-11. Uh, 422 people ended up burning to death in the fire. That's horrible. Yeah. Um, we would have a lot of deaths to talk about if we were doing the podcast then. Oh, that's 422 awful. of them. Awful. We could say, he died. Stop. And Allah Akbar, he died. Um, so anyhow... Uh, the government said they weren't involved in this fire thing at all, which I actually I don't really think they were. But the Khomeini ended up blaming them, which led to more riots and demonstrations. And then on September 4th, uh, which was the end of Ramadan, one of their sacred holiday things, I'm not even sure what it was all about. They'd gotten a permit for an open-air praying where they expected to have 200,000 to 500,000 people. But the clergy... Uh, talk the people into going on a march through the middle of Tehran instead of doing their prayer thing. And a few days after that, the protesters were calling for uh, Khomeini's return, and they also wanted to uh, establish Iran as an Islam republic. So the Shah declared martial law uh, four days later, so the riots took off again, and this time about 5,000 protesters took to the streets. Um, Ramadan is a holy month of fasting, introspection, and prayer for Muslims, the followers of Islam. Hmm. So evidently August must be the month of Ramadan, since this stuff was happening in September. Hmm. Huh. Hey, we're in Ramadan. Woohoo! Maybe we should stop and look at the calendar. Maybe we should be more introspective there during this month. Yeah, no. Okay. Okay. Um so, yeah, they had 5,000 protesters on the streets, and it seems like at this point the military was tired of playing patty cakes with these people. They fired some warning shots, and warning shots, and it didn't help, so they fired directly into the crowd, killing about 64 oh, people. Gosh. Go, team, go. Oh, gosh. And after other clashes took place, the number would rise to 89 uh, for the day. So that's a pretty good uh, KD ratio. Although the Shah criticized how this went down, the public was still firmly against him. So now the people went from protesting to going on strike. Uh, it seems that the Shah, he was doing everything he could to try to appease the people, but everything he was doing was backfiring on him. And while all this was going on, it seems the Shah, he knew that Khomeini was behind most of it. So he was urging the Iraqi government to expel him to try and separate him from the opposition. And this failed as well because he ended up, uh, they did expel him, but he ended up going to France. And in France, they had better technology than the Iraqis had, so he was able to flood the opposition with tapes and recordings of his sermons. And this also got the Western media pulled in, uh, which made Khomeini a household name at that point. And by November, the military was losing its grip on the people. They even had to give up the University of Tehran. The protesters also vandalized the British and U.S. embassies, which, if I remember right, if a country attacks a foreign embassy, it's viewed as an act of war. Which means the U.S. and the British could get the band back together again and we could help them out in another war, just like we did in the World Wars. So, early in November, the Shah removed the Prime Minister and appointed a military government. 
And he went on TV that day and basically apologized for the things that had happened during his reign, and he would see to it that the corruption would end. Well, guess what? This backfired on him again because Khomeini came in and said that there would be no reconciliation under the Shah and urged the people to overthrow him. Oh. Um, and basically, it's the same old song and dance for a while after this. They had protests, and then they'd hold off, and they'd have protests and whatnot. And by December, the military was becoming demoralized. They were forced to try and control these protests without being able to use their guns, which kind of sounds like, remember up in Portland? They were getting hit with all this crap, and they weren't allowed to really fight back. Yeah. A few shots into some popping caps and whiteys would uh, send a message. Oy. Yeah. So finally, the U.S. stepped in, and they were going to help. Uh, we would help appoint a new prime minister prime minister and return civil rule instead of military rule and in january the shah did eventually leave and at the beginning of february uh khomeini returned hmm. and he took over from there and i think that's kind of where we're going to end it at because uh i really don't think iran was better off under the ayatollah i think they were probably worse off under the ayatollah than they were in with the Shaw, and uh, the Ayatollah was definitely not as good off with the United States as the Shaw was. Mm. We had a pretty good relationship with the Shaw because, well, you weren't doing the podcast then, but on one of the deals where we flew some planes over Russia and it got shot down, we were taking the planes off from Iran or something like that. Anyhow, it was a while back, and I've done a lot of podcasts, and I can't remember everything that I've talked about. Ah. I'm getting old and I'm losing my memory. Yep. So, anyhow, um, I think that's pretty much it for this one. And uh, I think our new motto for the podcast is going to be don't sweat the petty things and don't pet the sweaty things. Nope, it is not. That could be a good motto. I've had people comment that they thought that that was kind of funny. It's so funny, but it's not a motto, people. There Come are on. some people that, well, it's some good rules of words to live by there's a lot of good words to live by be kind there you go and don't pet sweaty things Oy. but that doesn't rhyme as good as mine does yeah no no rhyming no okay well um i think that's pretty much it for this one when she starts huffing and puffing at me that means she's had enough of it <laughs> and uh she needs some time away um be kind. You should get some Calgon. Be kind, people. Have a great week. Stay hydrated and stay nice and cool. And beer is not a form of hydration. No, it is not a form of hydration. Be safe. Some people are cutting back on their beer drinking. Good for you, whoever you are. I know somebody <laughs> who has cut back a little bit. Good job, whoever you are. So... Anyhow, I hope you guys are enjoying this, um, and I hope you guys keep listening, and we will see you guys on the... N oh, I do have a bonus episode coming up. I'm just trying to put the final fixes on it and figuring out when I can record it, but I'm going to be hunting, and uh, there's some people that are old enough to be having, um, we'll just say decades-old class reunions. We won't say how many decades, 
but um, some of those are coming up here in the very short future. So I'll try to find some time that we can record the bonus episode and hopefully I can get the co-host to stick with me on that or I may have to fly solo on that one. But um, other than that, that's all for Roscoe and we will uh, see you guys on the next one. Thanks a lot. Bye.